there's a main theme that we've talked about again and again. And that's the fact that God is sovereign. Our sovereign Lord. And, and we use that language and we got to stop and say, well, what does that language actually mean when we talk about God being sovereign? Well, if you looked up sovereign in a dictionary, you'd see something along the lines of the supreme ruler, especially a monarch. And so it's, it's getting at this idea that God is king. He's the creator king. He created it all and he rules over it all. But we can go deeper than that and we say when we talk about God being sovereign, what we're talking about is that God is Lord over all. He rules over all that he made, which is everything. He actively governs all that he has, sustains it for his good and holy purposes. Basically, we're saying the same thing you can look up in Psalms 115 when it says, God is in heaven and he does what he pleases. That our God is God. He rules well. He he is in control of everything. And we believe this. And if you talk to most Christians, they'll say phrases that shows that they innately kind of believe this. When you read the Bible, that's what it says. That God's in control. So if, if you ever said that God has a plan, whether that's to encourage someone saying, hey, it looks confusing, but God has a plan and that plan will be carried out, you're basically saying God is sovereign. If you've ever prayed for something to happen, you believe that God is sovereign because you believe that when you pray to him, he listens to you and he has the power to respond, has the power to change and act based on those prayers. If you believe that God has promises that he's made and those promises will be fulfilled, guess what? You believe that God is sovereign because that's the only way that makes sense. If we believe that he has, he's promised us stuff and we trust in that, we believe he has the power to bring it about, that he is almighty, that he is sovereign. I love the quote from R.C. Sproul, who's a pastor and author, and he says this, If there is one single molecule in this universe running around loose, totally free of God's sovereignty, then we have no guarantee that a single promise of God will ever be fulfilled. Meaning that if there's something that he's God's not in control of, how can we trust in his power to respond and, and his plan to be fulfilled? That God is in control, total control. And that's what we see through the book of Genesis as we see these dysfunctional lives, these people just like us, groping to try to follow God and yet falling and failing all too often. What we see is God still being in control of the mess we make. That God's plans stand firm. And so we're going to read now in Genesis chapter 40 and 41. And it's a story about Joseph. And we see uh, Joseph uh, living his life and living for God. And we see how God is actually moving behind the scenes in his life to set him in the place where he is needed. So if you have your Bibles, I would invite you to turn to chapter 40 of Genesis as we read this account. Now, if you remember, last week we, uh, Bruce talked about how Joseph was a servant, a slave in Potiphar's household, and how he was now sentenced to jail. He was put in jail, not because of any wrongdoing he did, but because he was blamed for something he did not do by Potiphar's wife. And so this kind of picks up that story of, of Joseph being in charge of this, of this prison, that he's, he's basically 
managing this prison as a prisoner, and it says this. Sometime after this, sometime after Joseph kind of was put in charge of this prison as a prisoner, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against the Lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and, to att- and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. And one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt who were confined in prison, each his own dream and each dream with his own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, Why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, We have had dreams, and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, This is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. The three days In three days Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as, he, as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh. And so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that should put me into the pit. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head, and in the uppermost baskets were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Pharaoh answered and said, This is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days, and in three days Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all of his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his, per- his position, and he placed a cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them, Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by a Nile. And behold, there came out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the second of seven attractive, plump cows. And Pharaoh woke. And he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump, full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning his spirit was troubled and sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all of its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Then the chief cupbearer, said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with his own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about, I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph and 
And they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I've heard it said that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, It is not me, in me, God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. So then Pharaoh, just skip this part because he just repeats his dream. Then Pharaoh tells Joseph his dream about the seven cows and the seven ears. And so in verse 25, is we see how uh, Joseph responds. And so then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what, is about to do, what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good corn, eight ear corns are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that come up after him are seven years, and the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all of the land of Egypt, but after them there will arise seven years of famine, and all of the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land, and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. Now therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseas over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food and all the good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. That food shall be in reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt, so the land may not pierce through the famine. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all of his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this? And whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of the fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot, and they called out before him, Bow the knee! Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent no one shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zabapath Paneah, and he gave him a, the name, uh, and he gave him marriage Asnath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On. So Joseph went over the land of Egypt. And then the story continues how he actually enacts that plan that he suggested to Pharaoh. He collected food. He, was, he uh, had two sons. He was rose in prominence and ruled over Egypt. And then in verse 57, it says this, Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain because the famine was severe over all the earth. So in this story, a story that we might have heard before about how Joseph goes from prison to now being ruler over Egypt. What, how are we supposed to make sense of this? How are we supposed to see how God is at work in this story of Joseph's life? Well, I think we see this truth in Joseph's life that applies to ourselves as well, which is this. God prepares and places his people for his purpose. 
We've seen this throughout the book of Genesis. This is not new. That God prepares his people. He takes someone who is not qualified and he prepares them and he, and he forms them and he gives them experiences to grow and to learn and he puts them where he wants them to be all for his purpose. That God is in control, that he is behind these reasons and what's happening. And we see this clearly in Joseph's life. That God was preparing him for this reason. That God had placed him in this position for a reason, and that is for his purposes to be fulfilled. God prepares and places his people for his purposes, and that is true for us as well. So let's just look at that, the fact that God prepared Joseph. You know, there's a a Christian, well, let's just call it a cliche, it's a common saying, that God does not call the equipped but equips the call, right? It's so common that actually we, no one knows where that first came from. Various authors have used it, and no one knows where it comes, but there's a truth there. Because none of us are fully equipped or qualified enough to be used by God as we think we should, but God calls those who are sorely lacking. God calls those who really don't bring anything to the table to be used for his purposes. And we see that in Joseph, how God actually prepared Joseph. He took a 17-year-old boy, if you remember his story, and he, he prepared him by first giving him in charge. His dad favored him and put him in charge of his family. That Joseph was the manager of his brothers. He was being prepared to be a manager. He was meant to rule. And then we see that, not only that, but when he was in Potiphar's house, he was put in position of authority. He was trained up in those ways that he started managing the household. He managed, he was, when he went down to prison, he started managing prisoners and, and organizing them. And this all prepared him for what was going to come next when he was elevated to be the ruler right under Pharaoh of Egypt. He was prepared now to manage and to rule well. God had prepared him through all these twists and turns of his life now to be an effective and wise ruler. He's basically... The story of the mailman, the mailboy, who went up to the CEO position. He worked his way up from prison, now all the way up to ruler of Egypt. I mean, there's a big leap there, but he did it. But he was prepared by God to do that. Not only that, but think about how dreams were used in his life. That Joseph was prepared to understand how dreams worked and how God used dreams. For right in the beginning of Joseph's story, how he got in trouble with his brother's He was interpreting dreams, his own dreams, about how they would eventually bow down to him. And so this idea of dreams and how God used them was all in his mind so that when he was put in that place where he can now interpret the dreams of the the cupbearer and the chief baker, he knew how God worked and God had prepared him to speak his truth of those dreams. God prepares people as he prepared Joseph. And that's the same thing about with us. You know, people say, especially about my generation or younger, that we really don't like to put the time in or wait to get that position. We don't really like to work up or something. We kind of want our dream job, our dream life right now. But I don't think that's just younger people. I think almost everyone in our society has that problem. We want what we want right now, and we have trouble seeing how God can prepare us or how we should be prepared for what comes next. 
But how God works is that he prepares us and he grows us and he takes what's happening in this one part of our life and he uses it for his ministry and his glory in the next part of our life. That God prepares us to take those steps and we need to be patient and see how God is working in our lives every moment of the day. But this frustrates us because this preparation doesn't happen on our timing. It happens on God's timing. Look at Joseph's story. I love these little phrases that are scattered throughout there that shows us his timing. Verse, uh, I mean, chapter 40 starts off with some time after this. Some time has passed with Joseph being in prison. Some time, they don't even give us the years. As he's waiting for God to do something, as an innocent man, even if he has some privileges as managing this person, he's waiting to be vindicated. Some time has passed. I like how in verse 4, when it talks about the cupbearer and the chief baker being put in prison, it says, it says uh, they continued for some time in custody. That this time was long. It was, it was a length of time where they waited to, for something to happen. And then after, the, after Joseph interprets the dream for the, the cupbearer and the chief baker, verse, uh, uh, chapter 41 starts off two years later. Joseph had, had helped the chief cupbearer, the cupbearer and the baker. Well, he didn't probably help the baker, but he helped the, uh, the cupbearer understand that he was going to be put back into service. And he said, remember me when you get back into Pharaoh's service. Put a good word in for me. Get me out of this jail, the pit. And two years later was when he remembered Joseph. This preparation was taking place on God's timing, not Joseph's timing. And it's the same way for us. When we look at Joseph, we can learn from him as he's prepared by God, and yet he was not corrupted by living in a pagan country, yet he was not downhearted, or it doesn't even say that he sat in the despair, that he stayed true to God and lived faithfully for God during all this, the twists and turns of being wrongfully accused, of being sold into slavery, of now being elevated, and all of this he stayed true to God. He was not tempted and followed him as God prepared him to be used by him as ruler, ruler of Egypt. So we have to ask ourselves, what about us? Do we look at our life and do we see in the twists and turns of life, do we see how God is preparing ourselves? I don't know about you, but there's been so many times that I've, right after I've gone through something I probably don't want to go through, all of a sudden someone else is in my life that is going through that very same thing and I can use that to encourage them or minister to them. And you can see in those snapshots and those small things and those big things how God prepares us to be used by him for his purposes. Do we stay true to God like Joseph and follow him no matter what is going in the good times and the bad and seeing how God doesn't work at all? Do we really truly see how God prepares his people for his purposes? I hope we do in our lives, in the lives around us. But he doesn't just prepare us. God prepares us, yes, but he also places us, his people, for his purposes. Joseph was placed where he was by God. Joseph was placed into the family of, his, of being the favored son of Jacob 
by God. He was actually placed in slavery by God. He was placed in Potiphar's house by God, all so that he could be wrongfully accused and put into prison and placed there by God so that he could interpret a dream for the cupbearer so that Pharaoh could now raise him to this promise of being the ruler of Egypt. He was placed in all these things, prison and in power, all for God's purposes. That God placed Joseph everywhere he was so that Joseph could serve his purposes, which is for the good of God's people. For as we'll talk about next week, Joseph is placed in this position of being a ruler of Egypt, of having Egypt store up this grain so that, as verse 57 said, all the earth was coming to buy grain from Egypt, and that includes his brother and family, and that Joseph was placed in this position of power so that he could save God's chosen people. So the line of Abraham would continue. So that the line of Abraham would now then will be set in place to flourish and to become millions of people who come out of Egypt and eventually establish the kingdom of Israel that eventually leads to our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we see Joseph was put in this position for God's good purposes, and that is saving, serving for the good of God's people. That God not only prepares his people, but he places his people right where they're supposed to be. And this is a truth that the New Testament recognizes. When Paul is preaching in Athens in Acts 17, in verse 26, he says, talking about God, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. Paul is saying, this is how God operates. When we talk about him being sovereign, what do we mean? We actually mean that he's in control of everything. He's in control of where you were born, the place you were born into, the family you have, the job you have right now. He's placed people where they're supposed to be, determining their allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. He's not just talking about kingdoms here. I believe he's actually talking about every single individual God has placed you where you're supposed to be. God places us. The family you have, God gave you that family for a reason. The position you have, God put you there for a reason. The connections you have, God put you there to have those connections for a reason. And with just like with Joseph, that reason is the good of his people. That God places each and every one of us for the good of God's people. So if Joseph, the good of God's people, was to save them in famine, but us, when we look at our life, we're placed in these situations, we're placed in these groups, we're placed with these people so that he can be proclaimed, so that he can be glorified, God can be glorified, so that we can love others boldly, so that we can serve them as if we're serving God, so that we can proclaim and preach the gospel to those who need to hear it. That God has placed us in these places so that we could serve Him in all things. And we might be thinking to ourselves, man, I really don't like where God has placed me. And there's times in our life where we think that. And this does not mean that we don't tr- strive for something better. We see Joseph himself being faithful to God. He's striving for something better because he knows he's not supposed to be in prison. And so he's telling the the cupbearer, hey, remember me. Get me out of jail, please. 
And so if we find ourselves in a situation that is hard or a situation or a position that is uh, hurtful, that means we should, we should strive to fix it. But even in hard circumstances, even in places we don't wish to be, we should see the truth that God has placed us there for his purposes. To grow our strength in our faith in him, to influence the people around us, to serve him even in that. So what that means is no matter where we are, we should maybe stop thinking, if only I was there, or if only I got that, life would get going or I could do great things for God. That right where you are, God can use you. Right where you are, God can make the most of your life for his glory. That we have opportunities all around us this week just looked to serve him, to love others, to proclaim his truth to people who need to hear it. God prepares and places his people for his purposes. But the great thing about Joseph in this story, as it shows us the greatness of God and how he works in our life, is that he also, through Joseph, gives us a pattern that lifts our eyes to Christ. For when we see Joseph's story, we actually see what we can call a type of Christ. A type is these patterns that come in the Bible that point us to a fulfillment, point us to the ultimate example of this. And so with Joseph, we see a type, a type of the righteous person being brought low to serve his people. And that, that is a type that finds its ultimate purpose and ultimate fulfillment, if you will, in Jesus Christ. The righteous one brought low for the sake of his people. For let's just compare Joseph and Jesus, and we see so many comparisons, it's hard. This is not, this is not by circum, uh, chance. This is not happenstance. This happens. We see Joseph, who is the favored son. He was meant to rule. He's rejected by his own family, his brothers. He's sold out. He's brought low and worked as a slave only to be finally exalted and placed in lordship. Well, take a look at Jesus. Who is he? He is the son of God, the ruler of all. Rejected by his own people, despised by people who should recognize him. He's sold out by, by a friend. He's brought low and took willingly upon himself the form of a servant, even to death, all so that he could save his people and so be exalted as Lord of all. That pattern that we see in Joseph's life, we see that fulfillment spoken about in the book of Philippians. When Paul is talking about who Jesus is in verse uh, Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 6, it says, talking about Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality of God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in him in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And we see the ultimate fulfillment of what Joseph's story points to in Jesus. He loved us so much 
that he gave up, willingly became low, became a servant, even to the point of death to save us. Where Joseph points to the fact that he was brought low, but he made the most of it, and was exalted so that he could save his people from famine, Jesus ultimately, willingly, comes down as one of us, took the form of servant, brought so low even to the point of death so that he could save us from our sin, save us for his God, so that then when he is exalted, we can bow with everyone who recognizes who Jesus is and declare him Lord of all. This is who God is and how he loves us. And so when we see the story of Joseph, it points us to our Christ. It points us to our King. It points us to the salvation that he brought us and the life he gives us. God prepares and places his people for his purposes. So what do we do with this? When we read this chapter, how do we respond? How should we respond? Well, I just have two challenges for you. First one is, God is preparing you. That's a fact. But my challenge for you is, can we see our life as preparation? Preparation for what comes next? Preparation for how he's going to use you to minister to someone in need? Preparation for how he's going to use you to proclaim his gospel somewhere? Preparation how he's going to use you to further his kingdom? What would change in your life if you saw hardships and, and troubling times or just even the mundane nature of life that can happen sometimes as God is preparing you for his use, for his purposes? Then everything there's meaning, rich in meaning because he's preparing you for his kingdom to further it here right now and preparing you to worship him forever in the end. That's challenge number one. Can you see life as preparation for ministry moment by moment? And then a challenge number two is how are you following God where he placed you right now? Where you are right now, how are you following God and being true to him? For if we believe this premise, if we read the story of Joseph and we believe this is true for ourselves as well, that God prepares us and then he places us so his purposes can be fulfilled, that means in where you are right now, you're going to be used by God for his purposes. Right now, where you are, you're going to be used by God for his kingdom. Just imagine that. Look around here this morning. The people call River Valley home, just a microcosm of his universal church. So many lives contained right here that God has placed you in so many different contexts, work contexts, family contexts, different connections throughout this community, that he's using all of you for his purposes. And if we leaned in to that, how God has placed us where we're needed, how God has placed us where we can influence people, how God has placed us where we can proclaim his gospel, just imagine what would happen in our community. You know, we pray for revival that the churches actually stand up and start spreading the gospel, and that starts when we ourselves personally understand that he's placed you where you are so that his glory can be made known. 
that he's placed you in those friends' context or in that workplace so that you can proclaim his glory and proclaim his love through the gospel to people who need to hear it. That where you are, no matter what it looks like, you can be used by God to serve him, to love others, to proclaim the gospel. If we leaned into that and just believed it and were bold enough to act on it, imagine what would happen around us. Not because of us, but because of how he uses us for his purposes. How he would use us to impact people's lives. How he would use us to change how they thought about him. How he would use us to maybe invite someone to hear about who he is. Imagine what would happen if we truly lived our life as he prepared us for action and knew he had placed us where we were for his purposes. I think that's a hard challenge sometimes to lean into. For whatever reason, we can shy away from it. Maybe we doubt it. Maybe we say, oh, he might place other people for his purposes, but not me. I, I don't have an important job. I don't have that many connections. I don't know that many people. But we all know people, rub up against people, live life with people who need to hear his gospel. We all live with someone who just needs to experience his love, to be encouraged by his word, to build people up for his sake and his kingdom. It's a challenge for us that we need to believe this truth that God prepares and places his people, us, for his purposes. That we are part of his kingdom. We are part in his plan for how his kingdom expands. How people are brought from death to life through proclaiming of his word. His plan is us. To proclaim it, to love deeply, to serve people so they can see him. That we, in a really will, real way, reflect his light in all the relationships we have. That people can see his light through how we live wherever we are. And this is a truth that is expressed through this little book that Jillian loves based off Twinkle Twinkle Little Star, I'll, I'll close with this. Twinkle Twinkle Little Star, God has placed you where you are. Up above the world so high, you're God's light hung in the sky. Twinkle Twinkle Little Star, when you look down from afar, what's the little light you see shining here for God? It's me. Twinkle Twinkle Little Star, God has placed you where you are. God has placed you where you are to be his light in a dark generation, to be his ambassadors who don't know him, to be a loving aroma to people who need to be awoken to the glories of God. God has placed you for his purposes right where you are. So let's live for God boldly. Love people boldly. Serve him in all things. Join me in prayer.
Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for who you are, how you love us, how you move in our lives, how you have prepared us for ministry in so many ways we can't even fathom. How you have moved through our lives and brought us to this place where we can glorify you no matter what. Lord, I pray for everyone here, everyone who's, who's going to watch this online, everyone who calls River Valley home, this church. I pray for us to grasp hold of this reality that you have prepared us for your ministry, that you have placed us for your glory, that you use us for your purposes. Your redemption plan can be carried out people can be brought to know the truth of who you are and who your son are is and how he has saved us through his death and resurrection lord we pray all these things that we can lean into his truth we can live for you in all of these things day by day moment by moment we pray these things in jesus name amen amen if you'll stand and join us in singing his mercy is more and, and Praise God, his mercy is so much more than our sins. 